Well, I was in Chicago all week. I was in Chicago for 10 days, and I served uh, on the, some uh, boards and commissions and things for the covenant denomination. And one of them is the executive board. And as a representative, of the, uh, as a member of the executive board, I'm assigned to also represent the executive board on a board we call the Board of the Ministry. Board of Ordered Ministry. Boom. But this gets better because the Board of Ordered Ministry is in the Department of Ordered Ministry. So I serve on Boom of Doom. And how, how encouraging is that to pastors who need to go before that board? We interview pastors uh, as they're applying for ordination and read their theology papers and then interview them, make sure that that's all good to go before they're recommended to the church. But we also care for pastors who have gotten in trouble or who are deeply wounded, who have made bad decisions and helped them to recover. And uh, so it's a pretty challenging week. And there was one night that I was a bit tired, all of that in a room without windows, by the way. <clears throat> for, um, and I was a little bit tired and I came up to my room and I'm staying all by myself and I, I needed some encouragement. I thought, I know, Jeff's preaching. Uh, Jeff preached this last Sunday. I think I'll go on the Marin Covenant website and listen to the message. That's always encouraging. So I booted up that message and listened to him preach about a generous heart of worship and launching ourselves and being free to generously express our appreciation for God. And that was a really compelling message. I mean, I was by myself in the room, but after I heard that message, I even went forward, you know, in, in that room looking for someone to lay hands on me and pray for me. We were talking this week at lunch about that message and how much fun it was for him to present it, for me to listen to it. I know many of you were blessed by it. And got to talking about where we go from there. And our thought was this, that that was such a helpful and powerful message. It may be good to take a week and just set aside the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels that were in with this series of Dangerous Generosity. Get some instruction, give some permission. Talk a little bit about what the practicalities of living with a generous heart of worship toward God are when we're gathered together uh, in worship. So that's what I'm going to do this morning, and I just want to launch right into it. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at some of these guidelines, some of these uh, uh, balancing ideas for expressing a generous heart of worship. As we move through this, we're going to create a little triangle of thought, Here's what I want you to keep in mind as we walk through this, though. Each of these cooperates with the other in sort of a creative, helpful tension. And it's also true, though, that every single person will tend to want to go and hide in his or her corner in one of the extremes and create an extreme back into his or her corner in one of these tensions. And so we need to hear this and uh, respond to it. There are three biblical values that guide a generous heart of worship in public gathering, and they do work in cooperative tension as we unleash our hearts of un unbounded worship to God. And here's what they are. The first one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm calling this one freedom of expression. So the scripture is teaching us as a starting point for coming together in public worship and expressing a generous heart of worship. It's teaching us to be free in that expression, to be without uh, limits in the way that we express our love to the Lord, at least without oppressive limits in the way that we express our love to the Lord. 
1 Corinthians identifies the diversity of the church. And this is a recognition of the diversity of gifts that God has given the church. But many of these gifts are gifts to be employed in worship. And you know, we're a very, very, very diverse group of people. But listen to what 1 Corinthians says just about the way the Lord has equipped us with our giftedness. He says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, which many would say, the, the closest thing to an apostle today, many would say it's like a church planter or a leader, someone who goes into a new ter- territory and establishes the gospel there. Some would say missionaries, especially missionaries to uh, people who aren't reached yet. Those are apostles. We believe that apostle certainly does not mean everything it meant in the first century, but also that that gift has not been done away with. It's just morphed. So first of all, apostles, second, prophets, probably preachers and teachers, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping uh, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues, gift of tongues. That's one that some of us are aware of, most of us are afraid of, some of us are completely unaware of what that means. Just on a side, uh, my understanding of tongues, and I may be wrong with this, that it's a gift that still functions today and is still given by the Lord to people today. It's, in essence, an utterance. Uh, It's something that when you're worshiping God, you can't quite express yourself, you may want to use a gift of tongues. But tongues, if you look at second chapter of Acts, this is all on the side here, it's primarily a gift of hearing. So people spoke in tongues and other languages. The fire came down in the second chapter of Acts up in the upper room. But the text goes out of its way to say, and they were hearing them in their own languages. So there was some sort of verbal presentation by people in worship. But people came and they heard whatever it was that was uttered in their own language. So if Italian was your language, uh, you heard it in Italian. If Swedish was your language, you heard it in Swedish. If English was your language, you heard it in English. But it was an utterance, and it was probably a gift of hearing, a miracle of hearing. So today, when there's a reference to the gift of tongues in public worship, my understanding, and listen, I may be wrong. I'm not going to be super assertive on this. This is the way I understand it, try to make sense of the text, take it for whatever it's worth to you, is that some of us have the gift of being able to Uh, express our love and our worship, our heart of generosity in an unbounded use of this particular gift. And it may simply be an utterance. I practice it this way, and I say, Lord, if I got this wrong, then forgive me, but I practice that gift usually when we're singing and loud music is going and I really want to express my love to the Lord. There's a just verbiage that comes out. And um, And then I say to the Lord sometimes, look, I'm not quite sure how you want me to pray. I've expressed my love for you every way I know how to do it in English. Take and put whatever meaning you need to put on this language, this sound that I'm giving to you. I just love you so much. And uh, that's one of the ways that I think that gift can be practiced. But for whatever reason, it's part of the diversity of gifting that God has given to us. So that's my main point. We are so diverse, all different gifts given for worship. And we are encouraged to practice a freedom of expression with all of that diversity. So the freedom to use all the gifts that God gives. Tongues, prophecy, exhortation, encouragement, giving, and add to the list because we're not at all sure that it's a bounded list. And free to use all forms of worship when we're expressing ourselves freely in desire to find 
and live into a generous heart of worship for God. Kneeling, dancing, hands raised, hands down, hand in pockets, shouting, not shouting, singing, praising, contemplative silence, even contemplative silence in the midst of noise. We're that diverse. Some like to shout, some like to dance, some don't. Some like to sit and meditate. And that's what a generous heart of worship looks like for the way we're constructed. I like loud music. I like lots of activity. My default expression of worship is rather Italian. And here I am in a classically Swedish denomination. I used to make jokes to all my friends in Chicago. I'd say, I'd say hey, all you Swedish guys, you know what this is? And they say, no, what? I said, that's a Swedish charismatic in active worship. You know? <laughs> it, they didn't really appreciate that so much. Well, I don't know why not. <laughs> but we're just really diverse. We have diversity of education. I mean, we have sc- people with high school degrees and college degrees and graduate degrees and no degrees and lots of degrees but no temperature. We have every kind of way you can make yourself known expressed here in our church. We have people who love classical music and hip-hop music and country music, and I'll still never understand the ones who love country music, but they're a part of our church. We read fiction, we read history, we read poetry, we read everything. We are an incredibly diverse group, and that's true with every church and with the construct of our hearts and the gifts God has given us to worship Him, to be able to express our thanks to Him. We are equally diverse. Does that make sense? And it is absolutely necessary that we be loving enough when we're gathered for corporate worship to make sure that at all costs we protect people's freedom to fully express themselves in ways that, are, that they're comfortable with. And even in some ways they're not comfortable with. That's one of the values that we see in Scripture that's answering the question, what are the nuts and bolts of this freedom of expression is one of the things that we need to keep in mind from that First Corinthians text. And what I've done is I've taken each of these three, this triad in each of these corners, create like a little triangle corner, and I have identified what might be the rallying call, rallying cry for each of these three different values. Some of the things that we need to be careful of if that's our default corner that we back into most of the time, and then even given each of them a name. And uh, let's, let's look at those. Now, this first one is uh, what I call don't quench the spirit. That's the rallying call for those who are really gifted and good at freedom of expression. It's a good call. Don't quench the spirit. The problem is that sometimes we think that if somebody's not worshiping exactly the way I am, they are quenching the spirits. So we need to be careful of that. Some of the things you might want to be aware of if that's where you tend to find your primary comfort is that if we go only to that freedom of expression and there's nothing else to inform us, sometimes community can be devalued. Sometimes our personal worship IQ is diminished or even truncated because we're not learning other expressions of worship. We're not moving out of what's comfortable for us. And sometimes 
on our worst days, attention is drawn away from God and can be drawn to the individual. That doesn't mean, in fact, far from it, that because somebody's really healthy in their freedom of expression, that worship is, the attention is drawn away from God to them. But these are just things that, if you, like me, want to find your default, that corner, to be that corner, we need to be aware of. On its worst day, uh, this could be called baptized anarchy. That's the negative term that I've given this triad, this corner of the triad, baptized anarchy. We're not looking for baptized anarchy in worship, but we are looking for freedom of expression in worship. And if we live in that tension, we're in really great shape. Second, so we have freedom of expression. There's a second value that the scriptures give us, showing us how to live into this uh, worshiping with, uh, with a generous heart. And that's what I've called sensitivity to context. Sensitivity to context and diversity. What I mean to say here is we have full freedom of expression, but every once in a while, thoughtful people recognize that, oh, this is a little different than normal. This gathering is a little bit different, and so I want to be sensitive to the difference. I have to learn how to be sensitive to the difference or sensitive to the different context or the different group of people that are here. And worship, while sensitive, but also not restricting my freedom of expression, and that's only for the mature. It takes thoughtful people to figure out how to compromise neither of those. Sensitivity to context. Listen in 1 Corinthians 14 to Paul applying this value. What he's going to say is we have all this worship going on, all these expressions of worship. He's not saying that any of them are inappropriate. In fact, to the contrary. But he's saying, however, when somebody comes in that isn't part of your community, you've got to kind of be aware of that and maybe make some adjustments and choose to set aside an expression that you might otherwise be free to employ. He says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret. I'm at 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 13, what they say. So, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And that's not a negative statement. That's simply a descriptive statement. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. And by the way, there he implies that sometimes you pray with your spirit and not with your understanding. And he's not saying that that's bad. You got that? Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of being an inquirer say the amen or agree with you? How can they agree with your thanksgiving since they don't even know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, so there's an affirmation of the practice from one dimension, but no one else is edified, and that's always something we want to do. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, Paul says. But in the church, in public worship, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers, or guests, or searchers, or seekers, uh, unbelievers they're called here, come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And the implied answer is, hello, this is where you can be free to express yourself. The implied, the implied answer is yes. Thank you. That doesn't mean we are beside ourselves out of our mind. It just can look like that to somebody who doesn't understand what's going on. 
But if an unbeliever or an inquirer, a seeker, comes in while everyone is prophesying or teaching or instructing each other, they are convicted and brought under judgment. In other words, there's something really profitable and helpful for them. So we have this freedom of expression that really is our bottom line. That's our starting point. Seems to me we start there when we're in public worship. If we're going to express a generous heart of worship, we start there and then we let these other tensions teach us, refine us, and inform us. And one of them is sensitivity to context. The rally cry for those who tend to find their most comfortable place in that corner could be, don't offend our guests. It's a good thing not to be unnecessarily offensive. It can be a negative thing if it squelches freedom of expression and worship. Don't offend our guests. When we hide there too much, sometimes the gospel is minimized. The power of God can be veiled. Because, listen folks, there's something about exuberant, beautiful, hearable, experienceable public corporate worship that has power. It melts hearts. It's the thing that has people watching the church worship and saying, what in the world is that? I want whatever that is that they're experiencing. Worship is a powerful thing. And seeing it and hearing it is a wonderful thing. The power of God can be veiled sometimes when we're overly sensitive to context. And faith, and therefore risk, uh, can be averted. They can be minimized. And by the way, faith and risk and confusion and a little bit of healthy fear, those are all wonderful tools of the Holy Spirit. Confusion is the first step toward enlightenment. Unless you're willing to learn and hear enough to be confused or challenged or a little bit uncomfortable, you never grow. So those are actually good things. But when we hide too quickly in our default corner of sensitivity to context, don't offend the guests. Now, let's have worship, but let's not offend the guests. That can be unhelpful. And I've named this one on its worst day, politically correct worship. Don't offend anybody. Don't show too much unguarded, unguarded, unbridled love. But it is a positive thing to be sensitive and aware to what's going on in the room and who's in the room. That's something that refines our freedom, but it can't ever be allowed to squelch it. Does that make sense? You see, the more... We develop this thing, the more challenging it is to live into it. The third is the maintenance of order. The text tells us that where there's, even though there's freedom to use all of the gifts, and we must be sensitive to context, but still maintain that freedom of expression. We also are sensitive to order. Order in worship is a valued thing. At the end of chapter 14, Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And listen, don't forget, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He's correcting himself. He's he's offering a corrective. Don't take this further than I've meant for you to take it. Be eager to prophesy, teach. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But then he says this in verse 40, But in everything, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So what Paul is saying is, we want the maximum freedom of of expression without stepping over the line of chaos. 
Freedom of expression in worship bumping right up against the line of unhelpful, disorderly chaos. Freedom of expression in worship is actually our starting point, as I understand it. And these other tensions help us to refine and inform that. Let it go. A generous heart of worship. Man, he has performed so powerfully in our lives. How can we stand and be silent? He never has to do another thing in my life. I just remember the, the devastation of clinical depression. And if you're tired of hearing me say this, I'm sorry. I just can't get over how good he was to me. Amen. I can't get over the fact that I can still breathe. I'm still breathing today. And back in those days, I didn't want to take my next breath. He carried me through that. If you've experienced the nightmare, the horror film of clinical depression where you don't even feel anything anymore. You don't, just feel, you don't even feel depressed. You feel nothing. And the Lord, through servants, through the power of His Holy Spirit, protected me, carried me, brought me through that. I don't need to have Him do another thing in my life. For me to want to stand up and say, you are great, you are powerful, you are fantastic, you are trustworthy, you're reliable, you do what you promise. Every single week I want you to hear it from my lips. Every single week I will not forget. Every single week I will remember. I cannot stand and be silent. I cannot just sit and say nothing and think about the football game that's coming. Boy, there was a football game that wasn't one, but that's for another Sunday. <laughs> Sometimes the devil wins. <laughs> we go with full expression. And that for some of us means volume. For some of us it means deep silence and that's the volume. Freedom of expression that is then tempered by these other values. Sensitivity to context. Sometimes we say, I have a right to worship like that, but I choose not to use it today. I mean, I worship differently in my cubicle at work than I do when I'm out in nature by myself. I worship differently, more internally, yesterday at my son-in-law's grandmother's memorial. It was Buddhist. Yet the texts that were quoted in the, in the uh, bulletin were both from the Bible but I worship differently there. I don't barge into somebody else's living room and rearrange the furniture. But I'm still going to sit in there. Does it make sense? Sensitivity to context helps to inform my freedom of expression. And then the maintenance of order helps to inform my freedom of expression. Maintenance of order. The rallying cry when we hide in that corner which is a good thing. Do you see that? Maintenance of order is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. But for those of us who find that to be our default, and we maybe overemphasize that, the rallying cry is this, and you've heard it before, you maybe said it before, don't draw attention to yourself. That's the rallying cry. Don't draw attention to myself, so I'm going here, and I'm going to use the biblical challenge for order in worship to make sure I never express freedom and maybe I can even quelch somebody else's freedom. Do you know I heard a story between gatherings? Somebody came to me and said, uh, 
and he, he, I asked permission to tell this story. He said, I came in here, one of the first times I came in here in public, in worship on Sunday morning, and he said, I wasn't sure, I was a little bit apprehensive. I looked over and I saw near me an elderly gentleman, and he was really expressing himself in worship. And this guy told me, between services today, that's when I knew that I had found freedom. That elderly gentleman's worship freed me. If it's true that unbounded worship and expressions of it can free somebody, then it's also logically true that the restriction of that can restrict somebody. And that's what we have to be careful of when we practice this biblical value of order. Don't allow, don't draw attention to yourself. Because when we hide there in our default, freedom is curtailed. Worship can be stifled when we linger there too much. And even the spirit can be muted. The spirit can never be vanquished. But he can be muted. Our ears can be plugged. And on its worst day, I've named that default worship position cold and irrelevant. Because sometimes that's how that can feel. And isn't it terrible to take a wonderful biblical value that's meant to instruct us and help us to be more free and actually have it end up doing just the opposite. I mean, some of us, and may, may I have permission, well, I'm going to take permission. I'm going to take permission to be a pastor here for a second and invite us into something. Because I don't think, it's just me as I look at our church as your pastor, I don't think we're at risk of being too orderly. And I don't think we're at risk at, of, of forgetting to be sensitive to context. In fact, that's a strength for us. That's a wonderful strength. That's why you hear people standing up on thanks Sundays and saying things like, I'm not a Christian yet. I don't know if I believe what all you guys believe. Uh, or I'm an addict. But I found a group of people that can help me. And I feel comfortable here. I feel free. I feel loved. And I get those messages all the time in private. You even heard some of them in public recently. That means we are really blessing the Lord's heart by being sensitive to context, making space uh, for folks. Here's our risk as I see it and my gentle invitation to you. I think our area of growth is in that first value, freedom of expression. I'm not saying everybody has to speak in tongues. I'm not saying everybody has to sing loud and love the bass turned up like I do. But as Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, it's, it's important that we not hold back. It, he is so good. How could we hold back? For some reason, God is actually seeking, turning over the leaves and blankets and looking under every board for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's that important to him. I think our wonderful challenge and place we can go and grow is in learning to express ourselves in worship. And that's going to mean singing and, and, and reading scripture and speaking words of testimony. And we're not going to forsake order. And we're not going to get bad at something we're really good at, sensitivity to context. 
But our area of growth may well be in that first, that first value. Think about that. Expression. Verbalizing what's true. And losing track of who's standing next to us. Because who cares anyway? I have a friend who, uh, who's a Korean pastor and they have this style of praying. We all kind of call it Korean style praying. That's where everybody just prays at the same time out loud. Just this big room of murmurs. It's all in English or Korean. And, but just you can't, even, you can't even tell what one person is saying because, uh, you know, and distinguish between them and the other because everybody's praying their prayers out loud at the same time, whether they're praying for a country or they're praying for a mission or they're praying for their family. Or what, they just start praying it all out at the same time. And he said, he told a story once. He said, I was in church and I was praying and they were praying that style. And the person next to him said, hey, you're praying too loudly, you're disturbing me. And my friend, I don't think it was his best Christian moment, but my friend turned and said, well, that's tough, I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) There's our challenge, Marine Covenant Church. What's holding us back? If we start with the value of freedom and we allow these other biblical values, sensitivity to context, and a respect for order, doesn't that in fact free us up more? Because we're not gonna step across the line of chaos, but neither do we wanna stay so far back from being expressive and expressing a generous heart of worship that we miss the whole point. That's, that's where do we live? Right? Right in the middle, leaning toward freedom of expression for our church. That's the emphasis for us. That's our area of growth as I perceive and discern it. And I, don't, I think I'm speaking for all of our pastors and all of our pastoral team and want to invite you there. So there, there are three rules that are held in healthy tension for worshiping God with a generous heart. But there's ultimately only one question that matters when we talk about it. Since Jesus said that God is actually seeking worshipers, here's that question, people who worship him in spirit and truth, here you go, you ready? Are we ready to meet the challenge of those tensions? Or are we going to say that's as mature as we can be? We, we just need to kind of go to our corner and kind of live there and stay there. Because it takes depth, theological competency, courage and maturity to say, no, we're going to be free to express vociferous, vociferous, you know what I mean, (laughs) vociferously, our love for Christ and allow these other values to guide us and teach us and temper us. To live in that tension is not for the weak and the small-minded. It's for the mature. Listen now. We've talked. Our leadership has talked and prayed. And we are absolutely convinced that you're up to that. That's where we want to go. Think about that this week, okay? It's an invitation to build on what's already good and strong in us. Let's pray. Lord, we are... uh, longing to worship you because all of us have our clinical depression stories. 
our stories of how you found somebody that was lost, our expressions of hope, and we can see you working a little bit in somebody's life when they matter so much to us. We've all wandered and been found by you, carried by you. Even when we didn't know, when we, didn't know we were being carried by you. And you're worthy of worship. You're worthy of hearing us worship, seeing us worship, feeling us worship. So take us there, O oh God. Pour out your Holy Spirit into this worshiping community. And let's go deeper, Father. That's our prayer. Free us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing now as you're dismissed? And now may the God whose heart is warmed by the worship of his children have his heart warmed today by you. You're free. Be free to sing and dance and be quiet and contemplative. Whatever we do, let's do it with a generous heart of worship, a dangerously generous heart of worship. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.